Hello, friends. Welcome to Fuel, the official podcast of Friends Southwest, a family of churches whose mission is fueling a spirit-led movement where Jesus changes people who change the world. I'm Heidi Matson, and this is our very first edition of Fuel. It's our hope each month to bring you helpful information, engage meaningful conversations, and provide moments of inspiration to help fuel you as you follow Jesus and care for His church. Today, on this inaugural voyage, I'm excited to introduce to you our guest, Lance Witt. Lance is an author and speaker and founder of Replenish Ministries. It's his book, entitled Replenish, that led me to contact Lance. Several of the staff members at the church I serve at are reading it. They're actually, they're devouring it. One dude even has hashtag Lance on his whiteboard. We're finding it to be helpful, insightful, honest, and useful. So Lance, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks, Heidi. That's a very kind introduction, and what an honor for me to get to be sort of uh, the first podcast out of the gate. Um, I'm privileged to be able to do this with you today. Well, we're super excited about it, too. Soul Care for Pastors is a passion of mine, and it's really what I was hired to do for our denomination. And so when I started reading Replenish, I thought, you know what, Lord, it'd be so great if Lance was just willing to have a conversation with us. So we're we're really grateful. I wonder if we could just start with you telling us your own story. You know, what led you to begin Replenish Ministries? How did how did Lance get here? What's your story of soul care as a pastor? Well, I think like a lot of pastors in my generation, I grew up uh, in sort of a doing culture and, and a church that was focused on doing. And in fact, I would describe a lot of my early discipleship as really just behavior modification, you know, talking to me about reading the word and praying and sharing my faith and serving and not going certain places, not saying certain words, but There was no emphasis on sort of, you know, nurturing the interior life of my soul. And so I plowed through, you know, 20 years of ministry as a senior pastor, um, focused on, you know, leading well, building a great church, preaching good sermons, feeding people the word of God, and all the while sort of neglecting um, what was happening beneath the surface in my own life. And so in 1999, I was asked to join the staff at Saddleback Church with Rick Warren, and I initially was the pastor of discipleship and then took on small groups and then spiritual growth campaigns and eventually became one of the teaching pastors and the executive pastor over the ministry side of the church. And I was there when Rick wrote Purpose Driven Life, and so that was a you know exhilarating season, but in some ways also very exhausting. And the truth is, I wasn't leading myself very well. And after about seven years of being there, um, I just wasn't in a great place and um, knew that, you know, I I wasn't leading my soul very well. And so we decided to step aside and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I kind of assumed I'd go back and be a senior pastor because that's all I'd known. But um, it was actually my wife who said, you know, I think you ought to pray and be open to God doing something different. And so, again, it's probably a longer story, Heidi, but um, through a very clear calling, God told me, I want you to help pastors be healthy, holy, and humble. Mm. And I remember thinking I could give my life to that. And so a lot of what happens in Replenish comes out of the pain of a pastor who for many years neglected his own soul. And so for the last 12 years, 
I've been trying to bring my own soul back to life and nurture it well while helping other leaders do the same. Wow, that is that is so awesome. I'm so grateful that you took that courageous step because now the Lord really is using you to encourage the rest of us to be on this path because it really is a pretty new development in the world of ministry to care about emotional health. For so long, we saw emotional health as entirely separate from spiritual health or spiritual maturity, and that's just a big lie. And so to really be integrating those things is something that's relatively new in the church and in pastoral training and care. And I think it's an awesome development. Yeah, I do too. I, I, it's, it has gotten a lot more traction the last five, six years, but prior to that, there, there wasn't much going on in the local church, especially trying to help pastors and teams and congregations sort of embrace this. And so it has been an exciting development that I think is bearing some really good fruit. I do too. I really trust it's going to take us into the next generation and meet those young people who are looking for authenticity, not just authenticity in the pulpit, but people who are engaging the hard conversations of life, who are being honest about the things that are going on in their own stories. And that is definitely part of what having a healthy soul is all about. Yes. Healthy, holy, and humble. That's awesome. Well, it's kind of become the anchor for everything that I do in Replenish. Mm, That's great. In your book, you said that healthy churches only grow under healthy leaders. And then you talk about how our emphasis on leadership for so long left the soul of the leader behind. But that, in fact, a pastor's greatest tool is a healthy soul. Can you help us understand why that is? Yeah, I really believe that. I think it's very consistent with what Jesus taught that the Christian life is inside to outside. It always goes from the root and then it bears fruit. It always goes from the invisible to the visible. And so, um, you know, I think paying attention to your interior life is really important. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs, above everything else, guard your heart. Hmm. guard your interior life because it, and as Solomon said, it informs every other part of my life. And so I think uh, as pastors, you know, it's very easy for us to get everybody else, you know, focused on living the Christian life and help everybody else with their sanctification, but sometimes neglect our own sanctification and that we're still a work in progress and we still need Uh, to nurture our own souls. And so I think because of that, it's just so crucial for our generation. Yes, I completely agree with you. You talked about how a defining characteristic of a healthy soul is a life marked by spiritual power and the presence of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot in that. I, I, you know, my observation would be I kind of grew up in a generation where Uh, Early on in my ministry, I was seminary trained. I I knew Greek and Hebrew and systematic theology and, you know, church history, but I didn't understand leadership. And the truth is, as a pastor, I lived in the world of leadership and organizational leadership every week. And guys like Bill Hybels and, you know, Rick Warren and other guys in those many years ago kind of came along and began to talk about ways that we could become better leaders in the church. And, um, 
you know, that had huge impact on me. But I think what happened, Heidi, is that we began to put all the focus on skill, on technique, on, um, you know, kind of ambition and preaching and communication. So all these external things that if they're anchored to a healthy soul, they're really helpful. But um, it's easy to get in ministry where you are doing ministry out of the flesh, out of experience, out of gifting, and sort of the power of Christ and the daily presence of Christ sort of has been neglected. And so the irony is, here I am trying to build a church to God's glory, but yet personally, I'm disconnected and yeah. and not having that intimate relationship. Yeah. Isn't it's so crazy and it is such a danger, but it is a trap. I think all of us struggle with sure. on some level, right? It's, this isn't unique to just high level pastors or people who are in the limelight or have some right. fame or work at a church like Saddleback. This is the pull for all of us with our sin nature to do things in our own power and not to be empowered by the spirit. Yeah, that's, you, um, that's absolutely right. Yeah, you have this quote that just, it just slays me, right? It's like a dagger going right into my heart. And it says this, the greatest danger is getting comfortable with learning how to succeed with a disconnected soul. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, well, I I live there and, you know, you don't have to walk with God to see some external success. And, you know, it's easy to begin to, you know, get intoxicated with growth and with, you know, seeing progress and, you know, your church getting bigger. And, and yet all the while on the inside, you're kind of shriveling up, but yep. over, over time that always catches up with you. Um, it's my experience that when you, when that begins to happen and over time you begin to lead on an empty soul it always leads to one of three things. It always leads to disillusionment, burnout, or cynicism. And, you know, ministry is hard on the best of days. But then to try to do it out of that empty place, I think, just sets you up for some real challenges and struggle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is a terrifying reality that you can preach a powerful sermon and not have spent a moment with Jesus in your preparation and that you can pray over someone else in faith and have your soul being questioning your own faith yeah. inside, right? Those are, those are just realities and dangers that you're calling us to pay attention to, yeah. that this whole movement of soul care is saying the cost that we will pay for that, the cost that the people we are discipling and loving and leading will pay for that is enormous. And, and we can't let that be anymore. Yeah. And it's, I think it would be easy for someone maybe listening to this to sort of be under the, the pile of guilt. And the truth is, if you've been a pastor more than two weeks, you've done exactly what you talked about. You <laughs> totally. preached a sermon where, you know, you got busy with all the demands of ministry and you didn't have much time and you kind of mailed it in that week. And, and, and the truth is you're not really walking with Jesus much this week. And it's not intentional, but, you know, you do it and then it begins to get easier to do it and to neglect your soul. And, and then you wake up one day and you kind of, don't like who you've become on the inside mm -hmm. and what's going on beneath the surface. And, and you know how to play the game of ministry that, 
you know, after a while that becomes pretty easy. You, you know how to say the right words and you pray and you, you do the right things, but man, it's not life-giving. And I think there are a lot of people who 10, 20, 30 years into ministry uh, have this kind of discouragement of like, wow, this is not how I thought it was going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that can be a really lonely and hard place. But I, I just want everybody to know, hey, if you're feeling some of the things we're talking about, it's normal. But it, it but don't let it just sort of uh, you know be a non-issue for you. Pay right. attention to that and lean in and seek Jesus. And you know, I, I often encourage pastors for every leadership book you read, why don't you read a book on soul care? For every leadership yeah. podcast you listen to, how about listen to a podcast to something that that nurtures your interior life? And, and again, it's not. A, yeah, I think it's really important to note this, Heidi. It's not an either or. It's a it is a both and. I want to be a good leader. I want my life to have impact. I want to reach as many people for Jesus as possible. But I also want to do it from that healthy place and not find mm-hmm. my identity in my performance or how big my church is. Absolutely. Why don't you talk a little bit about that insidious process where ministry becomes our identity, where it consumes our hearts? Uh, That doesn't happen in one fell swoop. That happens over time, quietly, sort of like our soul is being embezzled out little by little. Yeah. I I think... You know, if you're a pastor and you you read the Bible, you want your life to matter, you want to have impact, you want, you know, to do something that's significant with your life. And so building a church is a great thing to give your life to. And But then what begins to happen is, you know, you used to kind of do it and pursue it out of this love relationship with Jesus. And then, you know, the package is the church and, and the box is the church. That's the delivery system. Mm-hmm. But over time, the gift and the box switch places and it becomes all about the box and, and about building the church. And um, if our church isn't growing, I'm worthless. And if my church is growing and the, the numbers are up into the right, I, I'm, you know, I'm a good leader. And, and so um, and I think, you know, the thing that adds like, you know, puts this on steroids is our people pleasing. And, oh, for sure. You know, wanting to to make sure that we're well liked and that you know um, we are well thought of, and so we begin to find our identity in how we pastor, rather than our identity in who we are in Christ. And um, again, I think this is where it was many years, Heidi, before I even began to probe around on some of these things and go, okay, there's something broken in me. And I remember when I was dealing with the issue of drivenness in my life, I've always had kind of a workaholic tendency and, um, you know, been very busy all of my life. And so in some ways, I'm kind of like the least likely guy to do this ministry replenish. But um, I remember one day, you know, I've always tried to deal with my drivenness by kind of managing my schedule and tweaking my calendar and thinking if I could just work smarter I could get everything done on my to-do list and ministry list and still live out my priorities with my family and Jesus and all that. And one day it was like the Holy Spirit just took the spotlight off of my calendar and put it on my soul and asked the question, so Lance, why are you so driven? Hmm. Why are you so compulsively busy? Why, Why does it matter to you so much what everybody thinks of you? What's that about? Yeah. And what, what, what was behind the external kind of busyness and drivenness was this 
script that I had in my life that was all around ambition. And now, after all these years, I've been able to articulate this internal script I've lived off of. And and part of it's just my wiring, but part of it's my, my upbringing. But the script that's driven so much of my life is work hard, be responsible, um, do good, and that's how you get success and that's how you get loved. Well, when that's the script that drives you, you're only as good as your latest achievement. Absolutely. And by the way, that will play itself out in some not so pretty ways with your teammates. And so this whole issue of soul care is not just navel gazing. It has everything to do with how I preach sermons, how I lead my team, how I think about vision. It impacts every part of my pastoral leadership. Yes. For me, I think the way that script played out, because I have those same things, right? I'm over-responsible. I'm a high achiever. I'm a perfectionist. But underneath all of it was that shame that the enemy grabs us with that says, you're just never going to be enough. And so it was always feeding this voracious beast that was never going to be satisfied until really having an encounter with Jesus' grace. Yep. It just said, it's it's already done. You you are enough in me because I've done it. I'm enough. You're approved of. And that that took a long time to really move from my head deep into my soul. Yeah. And when I'm tired or when I'm sick or when I haven't been paying attention, it can still rear rear its head pretty easily. Right. It's not it's not all the way gone. It's something I'll probably uh, have a weak link with for the rest of my life. But Jesus in his faithfulness, you know, moves us, keeps moving us toward wholeness where we where we know that his grace is perfected in our weakness. Yeah. You know, it makes when you're mentioning this, it makes me think of, I think, part of my journey to better health, again, not complete health in this issue has been the issue of Sabbath. Now, that may seem mm. like a random connection, but but when you study Sabbath, you know that in the book of Exodus, God links Sabbath to creation. And he says, mm-hmm. I created the world in six days, rested on the seventh, therefore practice Sabbath. In Deuteronomy, he's going through the Ten Commandments again, but this time, instead of linking Sabbath to creation, he links it to Israel's delivery from Egypt. And you kind of scratch your head and go, what does your their delivery from Egypt have to do with Sabbath. And here's the point that I think God was making. He said, you know, when you were in Egypt, you had no time off, no, no vacation, no downtime, no Sabbath. But now that under you're under my dominion, one of the things that marks my people is they stop and they rest. And I think the deeper lesson is this, Heidi, that God was wanting Israel to understand this truth. Your value to me is not just in what you perform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you are valuable to me when you aren't producing a thing on a Sabbath. And I think for a lot of pastors, that is a message that has to travel that, you know, 16, 18 inches from my mind down into my soul and heart to really grab hold of the fact that uh, I am just as valuable when I'm doing nothing. And, um, you know, talking about shame and grace, this guy, Lewis Smeads, wrote a great book called Shame and Grace. I love Lewis Smeads. Good, good theological um, book. And, and in it, he talks about, for a lot of us as Christians, our shame isn't about some dark skeleton in our closet. It's mm-hmm. about this deep, pervasive 
not good enoughness, he said. Exactly. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I struggle. That sounds like you've had that same struggle. I think most people in ministry, when you peel back the layers of the onion, there's that kind of, I'm just not enough. Yeah. So I think it, it bears repeating what you said, that God wanted his people to know that he loved them just as much when they were doing nothing. Yeah, I think we have to sit with that for a minute. Yeah. It's a hard one to really, you know, let that be replace the other scripts and let that become mm-hmm. the script. And because when that becomes the script, then you minister out of not insecurity, but a place of love, not fear, but out of a place of acceptance and grace. And so it's a complete game changer when you, you know, wrestle with this kind of stuff. And it seems to me when we practice that rhythm of Sabbath, not only, not only do we have the opportunity to come to know that God is not counting my successes, his, his gaze toward me, his feelings toward me, his commitment toward me have nothing to do with what I accomplish, but it also allows me to connect to that love to sense that love, to bring all parts of myself under the covering of that love. Because when I'm running fast and hard, and when I'm feeding that beast of self-approval or workaholism or perfectionism or shame, right, the parts of myself are disintegrated. They're not connected, right? Yeah, so, so true. And I you know, I, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but it was several years before I had this thought that Sabbath isn't just about rest and giving me time to replenish and recharge my batteries. But part of the reason that God established Sabbath was so that we would have unhurried connection with him. Exactly. Me, it's the difference between my wife and I t- texting each other or having a date night. Mm. Um and Sabbath, you know, because it is a Sabbath unto the Lord. And I think worship and connection with God ought to be more unhurried, more relaxed, a little deeper on Sabbath than it is the other days of the week. Because the truth is, a lot of times is when you're a busy pastor, your time in the Word, it's it's not it's not lingering. You're not doing much listening, right? It's it's you know, just a, a few minutes here and there and trying to get some a sermon idea. But I think if you practice Sabbath well, one of the things that happens is you slow down and you, you take time to what I would I call spiritual loitering, just hanging mm-hmm. out with Jesus. And again, truth is, for all those years as a pastor, I wasn't very good at that. It's not that I don't struggle with it now. I still do. But um, I'm certainly in a different place than I was in, in all those early years. So Lance, I'm just thinking about the person who might be listening and thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't want to know what's lingering in my heart. That's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Would you, would you talk to the fear? Would you talk to that person who's listening saying, I know what you're saying is true, but for me to sit alone with myself and really invite Jesus into that space, that that feels terrifying. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And the truth is, 
it can be terrifying. I think we often use busyness and filling our calendars as a kind of medication to keep us from sort of uh, addressing some of those uh, deeper issues of the soul. And so I would say, you know, when I first began to kind of move down this path, it was uncomfortable. And I, I think, you know, it's okay for it to be a little uncomfortable and awkward. It's like learning anything new. There's a there's sort of a learning uh, curve to this, and and learning to just be present and not have a frazzled soul, and and to be okay with the fact that there are some broken places in you. And and again, I think it, Heidi, it all goes back to the word you used earlier, and that's that's this thing of grace mm-hmm. and having an encounter with grace that I am unconditionally accepted. And I think here's the fundamental question you have to answer. Do you believe that God is good and that he is a good father? Mm-hmm. Because if he is, then he's aware of all that junk and brokenness and that I'm still a work in progress, but he, he loves me. He, uh, you know, he values me. He, he sits with me. He wants time with me. And so, um, you know, I think you have to, at the heart of this is what's your view of God? Mm-hmm, and, totally. and your view of God is going to inform whether you're driven by fear or whether you can sit in relaxed grace and just be. And I've found that it's taken those times of stillness, whether they've been by choice or whether God has forced them in my life, to, for me to really come face to face with some of the distortions that I held inside about God, because we can recite all the scripture verses, right, about who God is and about how his grace saves us, and all the while be running inside, not really realizing how deep some of the lies have gone. And it's so it's in that quiet space that God gently starts revealing those things in order to free us from those things, the treasures hidden in the darkness, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, it, yeah. what, a lot of what we're talking about is growing in our own self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Of be, in the, the funny thing about self-awareness is everybody else often sees our stuff before we do. Uh, That's the right? nature of a blind right? spot, yeah. right? I can't see it. <laughs> right. Um, but I love this quote I heard the other day that says, self-awareness is your best defense against self-deceit. Mm. So I think leaning into this stuff, letting God, you know, shine the spotlight on those things that uh, are broken places and begin to redeem those just like he's, he's doing everything else in your life, that that there begins to now be joy and hope and a new reality. And you're doing ministry out of that healthy interior place. And when when that is good, you're not as dependent on you know, how great my sermon was last week or whether our church grew by 10% last year. Um, you, you don't have to let those be drivers. It's okay to right. care about those things. Everybody wants to do well and have their church thrive, but it's not, it's not what I get up and live for every day. Right. It's not what defines me. No. Yeah. That's beautiful. So Lance, think about the pastor who's listening to this right now who's saying, I know, I know, where, where do I start? How, how do I recover my soul? What would you say? 
Well, um, this is going to sound probably a little harder than I, I mean it, but I, I would say <laughs> in the words of Henry Cloud, you are ridiculously in charge of your life. <laughs> and no matter where you serve, how long you serve, kind of where you are today, you know, we have to believe that one, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Second Peter says, God has given us everything I need for life and godliness. And I love how in Deuteronomy 30, when the Lord offers this amazing, abundant life to the Israelites, he says, if you'll return to me, I'll bless you. I'll prosper you. I'll protect you from your enemies. I'll give you bumper crops. I'll delight in you and you'll delight in me. And then he says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you and it's not out of your reach. Hmm. Um, and verse 14 of Deuteronomy 30 says, no, it's very near you. It's in your heart, heart in your mouth. So you may obey it. And to me, that verse is about personal responsibility that I can, I can, I really can have mm. a healthy, abundant life, no matter what my circumstances. And so I think the starting place is to say, I got to own this for myself. I got to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to courageously begin to lean into this. And that's going to mean some changes in your life. It means you're going to have to start thinking about what does a healthy rhythm of life look like? What does it look like to have a spiritually healthy team? at the church. And, mm -hmm. and the truth is when you start going down these roads, making some of these changes, you're going to disappoint some people because right. you've kind of had a way of doing ministry and a social contract with people that you're changing now. But it, you know, again, it goes back to this principle I teach a lot in my ministry and it's this, that self-care is not selfish. It's good stewardship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you caring for your one and only self is, is, being a good steward. And then I, I would simply say to that pastor, you know, just start leaning back into Jesus, um, mm -hmm. getting those times where you're not hurried, where you sit and listen, where you have silence and solitude, um, where you read and allow your soul to feed on things that nurture your interior life. Um, you know, a, a quote I often like to use is Parker Palmer talks about that you know, in, in the life of every leader, you have to be aware that if you don't pay attention to your interior life, you actually run the risk of prostituting the sacred gift of leadership and do more harm than good. Mm -hmm. And man, we've seen that in our generation. And so I yeah. would say to you as a pastor, pay as much attention to your interior life as you do all the externals. And I know that's counterintuitive. Because nobody notices whether or not you really had a meaningful time with Jesus, but they do know if your sermon was lousy. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think over time, if you will spend that time with Jesus, it will pay off in many ways in your ministry. There's that scripture in Acts that it makes me think of where the people commented that they knew the apostles had been with Jesus. Yeah. Right. And that's that's really what we want the testimony of our lives to be, that people would be able to say, mm, she's been with Jesus. Yeah. Right. With the aroma so of I Christ think what I heard us. you say, what was that? I said that the aroma of Christ emanates mm -hmm. from us. Yeah. Yep. Second Corinthians. Love that verse. Yes. So I think what I heard you say was, number one, kind of stop with the excuses. It really is within your reach to do because you have the power of the Holy Spirit and God would never call you to something he doesn't equip you for. And he calls you to rest. He calls you to care for your soul. And that's good stewardship. Yes. That's right. 
And then to recapture that love for Jesus, to just start taking time that isn't about preparation or study or anything you're going to offer to anybody else, but just learn to sit and be with Jesus. Yeah. Right. And authentically practice spiritual disciplines. And so mm-hmm. here's kind of the ugly truth in my own ministry. I, I would stand up and teach people all the time about spiritual disciplines, but the truth was they were woefully neglected in my own life. And mm-hmm. those disciplines are not the litmus test of spirituality. They're simply the mechanisms by which I maintain a fresh and vibrant walk with Jesus. And, yep. um, and I think as pastors, what happens is we get sloppy with spiritual disciplines, you know, and we know there's both habit and heart when it comes to an authentic relationship with Jesus. I think my experience with pastors and myself is the older we get, the longer we do this, the sloppier we get with our, our spiritual habits. Mm. And, and I think it would be wise for us to kind of tighten those up and lean back into those. Um, we need them just as much as that brand new Christian. Mm-hmm. I so appreciated your chapter where you just admitted to all of us that prayer is one of your weak areas because we just did a series in the spiritual disciplines and I was initially going to talk about teaching the word of God. And I felt like God said, no, I want you to talk about prayer because that's your weakness. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I brought it to the congregation was, hey, this is my weakest area. So let's journey on it together. So I really appreciated your honesty well, thank you. with that. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's not <laughs> always fun, but um, I, I think a lot of people can relate to that being a weak spot. Yeah. Yeah. I also heard you say it's going to take courage. There's a really good point you made that there is sort of this social contract, and it might even exist with an elder board much less just a congregation. And and we're going to have to be willing to let Jesus' approval be enough. It's going to take some courage. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you are changing that social contract. You are changing the rules of the game, if you will, on how you do ministry and how your church thinks about leadership. Um, but I also think it's one of those things that you don't have to be antagonistic. Um, Try mm-hmm. to bring others along. Put a good book in their hand. Give them a podcast. Help them to start on the journey. Because here's what I know is true. You know, it's, whether it's an elder or a staff team member, they really long for the same things you and I do, and they're absolutely, weary absolutely. and tired. And um, and so I think you know this can be you know some water on a dry parched soul. Um, so don't you know don't approach it from an antagonistic approach, but rather from a, well, here's what God is doing in me. I want to share it with you and help some of them get on the same journey. Yeah. Speaking of that, one of the most important things it seems to me in our soul care journey is that we have safe people in our life who we're honest with, who we confess to, who we talk with, who know the hidden parts of our lives. You have a quote in there um, in your book from Henry Nouwen that says, most Christian leadership is exercised by people who don't know how to develop healthy, intimate relationships. Talk to us for a minute as we get ready to wrap up about the importance of having a safe place as a pastor. Yeah, I mean, the statistics are a little bit alarming on how many pastors don't have a good friend 
And again, I, I growing up in the church and going to seminary, I, I kind of think the unspoken rule handed to pastors was you can't have good friends in your church because number one, you never know if people if it really is safe, and secondly, you don't want to be accused of favoritism, and so you just kind of keep everybody at a safe emotional distance. And so most of us as pastors have a a lot of acquaintances, so we're wide in our acquaintances, but shallow in terms of the depth of of any intimate relationships. And so I think you got to find that person or two. I was fortunate enough to actually find it with a guy on my team. And for the last 25 years, um, we have done life together and he is the person who knows any and everything about me and knows where I struggle. And um, I think you got to have that. And most pastors are going to find that outside their own church. Um, you know, maybe another pastor in the area or a friend, but and again, I, you know, Heidi, I'm a, a bit of a calculated person, so I don't easily open up my life to just anybody. But mm-hmm. over time, you know, as there as trust grows, I was able to more and more open my life. And it's been one of the most life giving things in my life to have a friend like that. And I, I would just say to you as a pastor, God made you a person before he made you a pastor. And you have the same basic relational needs as anybody else he ever created. And that that need for friendship and that safe place um, is real and one that you, you know, you need to have. Now, again, the issue is for a lot of pastors, it's not that they're resistant. It's just they're not going to make time for it. And so, again, you got to be intentional if this is going to happen. You don't build deep, intimate friendships in a hurry. Right. And and we have to be convinced that that's part of how we're supposed to live that it is part of our theology that we were called to live in community. The scripture says, confess to one another, and that's the vehicle for your healing. It's not just a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's also us bringing grace and truth to one another. Yeah. And again, we would preach that all day long for everybody else. (laughs) You know, I remember I had a friend of mine, he was going through a crisis in ministry and he went to one of these kind of intensives and, and the counselor met with him like the, the first morning. And at the end of the morning, he said, well, I already know what your problem is. He said, you have two theologies, one for everybody else in the world and one for you. Mm. And I think a lot of us in ministry struggle with that. That's a really good question for all of us to ask ourselves right yeah. now. Is there a theology I'm espousing for the people that I'm called to shepherd and care for, but another one that I live by privately? Mm, Super, super important question. Great. Hey, Lance, you had another book that came out just this last July. It's taking some of these concepts, but applying them to teams in churches. And it's called High Impact Teams, Where Healthy Meets High Performance. Tell me a little bit about that book. Yeah, my as I've gotten to work with teams in churches around the country, there are some teams that, man, they're hard driving, they're goal oriented, they're results oriented, they're on the path to burnout. And I'm kind of always trying to say, hey, don't forget to rest, don't forget to have a healthy rhythm. There are some other teams where not everybody's really getting after it. And they, you know, they love each other, they care about one another, they just don't get anything done and don't really, you know, have any progress in their ministry. And so I really began to dream about a book that could bring together the synergy of a team that is emotionally, spiritually, and relationally healthy, but at the same time, clear about priorities, 
executing on our, our responsibilities, holding people accountable for results, um, you know, having tenacious conversations about what we're doing, because what we're doing is important. And so I'm trying to bring the and into the conversation, because I think most leaders and most teams, in fact, I would say pretty much everybody, leans to one side of this equation or the other. And what I'm trying to make the case for is to embrace both. And then what does that look like practically? And so um, hopefully the idea I wrote it to Heidi was that teams would buy, you know, copies for everybody on the team and go through it together and have some really good, robust conversations about things they don't typically talk about. Hmm. Talk about the role of trust in that journey as a team. Yeah, well, you can't talk about health without talking about trust because trust is foundational. And in so many churches, because there's lack of trust, there is sideways energy. They don't have honest conversations with each other. The, the, the conversations take place in the hallway. And so gossip and innuendo tends to kind of fill the, the offline conversations of the team And so, you know, and again, I think some of this goes back to self-awareness. It goes back to being intentional to build deeper relationships in the team environment. Don't just assume that your team is trust trusting that, you know, it it starts with, um, you know, us being intentional to build those things in the team culture. And so, again, we can spend a lot of time here, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a foundational element. And by the way, it has huge implications for performance because when there is low trust, people work in silos. When there is low trust, a lot of sideways energy is spent in people trying to navigate the politics of the team culture. And so again, you can't separate health from performance. They, they do go together. So this journey is going to start in our own hearts, in our own souls. And when we start meeting Jesus personally, and so that voracious appetite for approval or success or ambition or whatever that script is in my life starts being answered by Jesus creating in me a healthy soul, a soul that's integrated. So I'm living out the first commandment in a different way, that I love God with all the different parts of me. Then I'm going to be able to bring that to my team as well, even as I'm in the process to call them to that journey and create a culture that's going to change everything. So it's not just about performance, but it's also about the depth of our relationships. It's about caring for each other's souls and that's going to impact everything in our church. Is that that's right? So well said. Yes, ma'am. Let's put an exclamation point on that. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Lance, this has been such a great conversation. And again, I just want to thank you for the work you're doing. And would you also thank your wife for encouraging you to take that courageous step and let God work in you to help us all really value and see the imperative nature of having healthy souls as leaders. I wonder if you'd be willing to close our time together by reading the scripture from Jeremiah that you have in the last chapter of your book and then the very last paragraph. Sure. That that verse has been an anchor for me in Replenish. You know, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. So 
there's a moment where you stand at the crossroads and you decide which path you're going to take. And then he says, ask for the ancient path, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. And so in this last little paragraph, I said, what an incredible promise. So many of us in ministry are in need of rest for our soul. Could it be that this is what I really need most and even most deeply long for? Could it be God's first priority in my life is a connected and joyful and refreshed soul? Could it be true in my ministry that his yoke really is easy and his burden is light? And could it be possible to find the kind of rest for my soul that leads me to genuinely say, Jesus is enough? Amen. Thank you so much, Lance. Thank you. It's been so great to be with you, Heidi. We've appreciated it so much. Take care. All right, my listeners, for those of you who have engaged in this podcast with me, I want to offer to you, to the first five people who email me and say, Hey, Heidi, how is it with your soul? I'm going to send you one of Lance's books for free. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll look forward to being back with you next month. Take care. Bye-bye.